Good afternoon and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. The United States military is one of the targets. Military people of faith have been punished for following the dictates of their consciences. A Marine was court-martialed thrown out of the service for refusing to remove a Bible verse from her workstation. A chaplain was disciplined for saying in a private counseling session that marriage is for one man and one woman. Crosses at military cemeteries have been taken down. An Air Force colonel who was cleared of making derogatory comments about homosexuality was punished anyway. In another case, Air Force Colonel Leland Bohannon, a decorated combat veteran who's rated one of the top officers in the Air Force, may have lost his career for not signing a certificate of spouse appreciation for a gay couple. One organization taking up the cause of religious freedom in the military is First Liberty Institute. Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty, Mike Berry, is my guest on today's Free to be Faithful. Mr. Berry, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you have quite a uh, an association with the military. I know you had you have been in the Marines. In fact, I believe you're still in the Marine Corps Reserve. Uh, you were with the Judge Advocate General's Corps. You uh, have done a tour in Afghanistan, and you were an adjunct professor of law at the Naval Academy for a number of years. So you have quite a bit of experience in this field. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been obviously a pleasure and an honor to, to serve in the Marine Corps, and uh, I am honored to be able to continue to serve our service members and veterans through my work with First Liberty Institute. And we have seen, I think, in recent years a, a number of, of really egregious moves against people of faith within the military. I think there was some hope with the uh, election of uh, President Trump that this was going to be reversed, especially since he had signed some executive orders which had mandated and uh, highlighted the importance of religious freedom within the military. But let's get to the case here of Colonel Leland Bohannon. He's a B-2 bomber pilot, and he was also commander, I believe, of a wing. What happened with this man? Well, as, as you mentioned, Colonel Bohannon is a decorated Air Force officer. He's actually received the Bronze Star, among other prestigious awards, uh, for his, his actions in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, his, his superiors have consistently ranked him uh, at the top or at the near the very top of, of the uh, kind of the, the pecking order when uh, when it comes to his performance reviews and that, I mean that's been throughout his career and he's really what in the military we, we use, the term we use to describe someone like Colonel Bohannon is a fast burner uh, in other words somebody who has risen through the ranks faster than, than you would expect or faster than usual and he was actually uh, you know preparing to to become a brigadier general in the Air Force, which is a one-star general, uh, when all of this happened to him. And, and of course, now that's probably been lost, uh, that opportunity. And he will, he will likely have to end his career as a colonel, which is, uh, you know, nothing to turn your nose up at. But uh, if you were to, you know, try to compare retiring as a colonel versus retiring as a general, uh, then and there, there's really no comparison. And... Uh, how this all came to pass was, uh, as you alluded to, 
Um, one of his subordinates was retiring when, when Colonel Bohannon was a commanding officer of a unit at the Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. One of his subordinates was retiring. And it's customary in the military that when you retire, you get lots of, you know, certificates and awards and medals and things like that. It's really, uh, you know, some of it is kind of more on the fun side of things, you know, maybe some photos uh, that bring back good memories of, of kind of the, uh, the early days of, of your service and then also things to commemorate, obviously, the many years of dedicated service. Colonel Bohannon was was happy, more than happy, to sign everything for his retiring service member because, in his own words, he deserved it. Uh, he, he was a good airman who did good work, and he deserved to be commended for that and, and recognized. Where Colonel Bohannon had to draw the line, however, was an optional, non-official uh, certificate of appreciation for his retiring service member's uh, same-sex spouse. This certificate is really, uh, you know, I think people in the military would say it's kind of the rough equivalent of uh, a bouquet of flowers, you know, or a dozen roses to say thank you for, you know, kind of putting up with, with uh, you know, the, the military lifestyle and the, and the moves and deployments and things like that. But, again, it's, it's not mandatory. It's not official. And when this certificate was presented to Colonel Bohannon to sign, uh, and, you know, it clearly indicated that this was a same-sex couple and a same-sex marriage. Colonel Hannon's sincerely held religious beliefs put him in a position where he could not sign that. Uh, and, he, and he faced this moral dilemma because the Air Force had really provided no guidance. I mean, a lot of these new regulations, you know, or, or new policies uh, governing same-sex uh, relationships and, and repeal of don't ask, don't tell, et cetera, this all came up under the Obama administration when President Obama was commander in chief, and that's you know if that's what the military and the president wants to do under that particular administration, that's fine. But what they should have done as well is provided some kind of guidance to those service members who don't necessarily agree with that, because that's what was being told. And I was still on active duty at this time, and and we were all told uh, this does not change. Anything you do not have to, you know, change your behavior, your beliefs, etc. If you are somebody who does not agree with same-sex marriage or who does not agree with the repeal of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," you are not going to be required to change your behavior or your beliefs. Now, my understanding is that when Colonel Bohannon was faced with this dilemma, he sought counsel both from uh, the command chaplain and from the staff judge advocate and was told that uh, he should put in a request for a religious accommodation, excusing him from signing the, the certificate. That's right. That's right. In, so in the absence of any policy guidance from the Air Force or from the DOD telling an officer what you should do if you're faced with this kind of dilemma, that's exactly what, I mean, very wisely, very astutely, Colonel Bohannon sought wise counsel from his JAG and from his chaplain. And it was the chaplain who suggested to him, sir, the best you can do at this point, because there is no guidance, the best you can do is ask for a religious accommodation. And he, and he, and he told Colonel Bohannon, you know, and, he tip, and this is true, that typically those are supposed to be granted. The only reason the Air Force can refuse to grant a request for religious accommodation is if the Air Force can show that granting that accommodation would somehow cause the Air Force to not be able to accomplish its mission. That, of course, that would be a ridiculous argument to make here, that somehow the Air Force would be less capable of carrying out its mission if Colonel Bohannon was not required to sign this document. Now, I also understand that 
It wasn't that his uh, request for exemption was was uh, denied. It's just that it was returned with no action taken whatsoever, which I understand is not an option. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That that's exactly right. It, it is not an option. You know, the the Department of Defense revised its uh, kind of governing regulation that covers religious accommodations back in, in 2014. And, and I, I mean, I remember very publicly saying this is a very good revision. That the, the actual Department of Defense got a lot of things right. And one of those things was, you, um, you, you know, when somebody requests a, a religious accommodation, the default is that you should grant it. And then the only reason, as I just said, that you should not grant it is if you can show that you would not be able to accomplish the mission if, if you grant this accommodation. Well, that's only two options. There is no third option of, or, you know, if you just really don't want to do anything, you can just return it without action. But yet that's what happened to Colonel Bohannon. So he was left without any formal guidance, without any action taken on an accommodation request, but fortunately, or at least what we thought at the time was fortunately, a two-star general stepped in and said, I will sign the certificate and, and instead of you, Colonel Bohannon. Is that okay? And Colonel Bohannon said, of course, that would be, you know, I mean, I, that, that would be great. And so a two-star general signed it instead of a colonel. Anybody who's ever worn the uniform of the United States knows if you have the option of having your certificate signed by a colonel or a two-star general, you always take the two-star general because that's far more prestigious. And, and, and yet, nevertheless, that was not good enough for this retiring service member. He, was some, for, for whatever reason, was offended that Colonel Bohannon would not personally sign it and that it was signed by a two-star general instead. So he filed a formal complaint alleging that Colonel Bohannon was guilty of illegal discrimination. Uh, and, and the Air Force did an investigation, and they actually agreed with that complaint and found against and, and, and found Colonel Bohannon was guilty of illegal discrimination. So really, that's what's led to, to, to you know, led us to where we are right now. Well, I think it's even worse than that. My understanding is that the investigator in the case had said that even had the accommodation been granted, Bohannon still would have been guilty of unlawful discrimination. That, that, that's right. That boggles the mind. It, it does. That's exactly right. That, you know, First Liberty Institute, we stepped in and, and we filed, uh, or at least, you know, uh, submitted a, a an informal appeal. When I say appeal, you know, we're not in court right now, but we're still trying to work ourselves through the Air Force system. And that was one of the things that was really shocking uh, that we brought up was this investigator, who is not a lawyer, but was assigned to investigate the allegations and determine whether, in, in essence, guilt or innocence. But you know, not in the not in the courtroom context, but for for these purposes. And he said, you know, yeah, I I, I see that Colonel Bohannon has requested a religious accommodation, and I see that it was returned without action. Uh, but even if it had been granted, okay, then. It, it doesn't excuse him. The, the you know rules are rules, and and the rule says you can't do any, you can't engage in illegal discrimination. And I think Colonel Bohannon engaged in illegal discrimination, so he's guilty. And that's, I mean, then what's the point of my my response is what's the point of even having a religious accommodation pro you know uh, you know uh, scheme, you know if. if that's that's what a religious accommodation is by definition. It, it's an accommodation of your religious exercise. In other words, it says, look, normally there might be some military, um, you know, 
certificate that you might have to sign, or, or in this case, it was optional. Um, but nevertheless, because of your sincerely held religious beliefs, you do not have to perform that particular exercise, right? And um, you, you know, I mean, the, the kind of the age-old example is uh, if you have if you're assigned to ha- you know to go take your physical fitness test on a Sunday. And that, and, and you happen to be of a religious faith that that believes in Sunday being a day of rest. You can ask for a religious accommodation to take it on Monday instead, right? So you're still able to fulfill your military duties, just on a different day. And so you're being accommodated, and uh, that's the whole point of the religious accommodation program. And th- and this investigator said, that basically, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. I think you're guilty, so you're guilty. Oh, we've seen that before. But it's, you know, first of all, the the person he supposedly discriminated against was not a service member. Uh, The certificate does not have to be issued. It's something that may be issued. There's no requirement that the commander sign the, the, the certificate. In fact, as you pointed out, he had a major general do it instead. And this still wasn't enough. Yeah, that, I mean that's the part that that really makes no sense in this too. Is um, if you're not a service member, then you have, and, and you're not an employee of the Department of Defense. Which all, all the facts, as I understand them, is that the spouse in this case is not a service member and is not an employee. Then you have no standing. You know, is the legal term we use. You you have no legal right to make an uh, an accusation of, of unlawful discrimination because. You know, there's no legal relationship between you and the military person. Um, and so instead, it was the service member who did receive everything that they wanted, or you know, everything that they were entitled to, at least. And, and they're the person that would have standing to bring a complaint. And so, I mean, it's just yet another example of the many ways in which the Air Force has run afoul of its own regulations, of its own policies, its own procedures in this case, and that's why First Liberty Institute were seeking justice for Colonel Hannon. Well, a couple of things here on his background and, and the results that, that I find very pertinent to this. We're talking about a man who's had over 3,300 flight hours, including combat missions in two separate countries. He's been awarded the Bronze Star, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, and the Air Medal. Now, looking at, at his performance reports, uh, one Brigadier General, uh, Kirsten Goodwin, ranked him number one of 11 wing 06s. Lieutenant General Gregory Biscone ranked him number one of 30 06s. And uh, Lieutenant General uh, Rock, Anthony Rock, ranked uh, listed him in the top 2% of 06s with over 35 uh, years experience. Now, ironically, it turned out that uh, that Lieutenant General Rock, who had issued that finding, I think just a couple couple of weeks or so prior to this incident, was also the one who then said, I cannot recommend this man for promotion to general, even though he's listed as one of the very top performers in the United States Air Force. Yeah, that's right. And I think what that demonstrates is how quickly our senior military leadership will bow, you know, at the knee, uh, well, will bow at the altar of political correctness, uh, that, that it doesn't matter if somebody is the best of the best, if they are a top performer. The moment there is something that is raised that, that challenges the kind of the doctrine of political correctness that is, that is uh, just 
essentially taken over our military uh, throughout the Obama administration, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if that person is the best of the best. They, the military will hang them out to dry in a heartbeat, and that's what's happened to Colonel Bohannon. Something that bothers me as a citizen, and I want to ask you as a, as a military man, what does this do to our nation's warfighting ability? Well, that, I mean, that's really what gets to the heart uh, of this issue, it, it, beyond just the legal uh, you know, aspects of it, is really kind of the, okay, you know, why does this really matter on the broader scale? And the reason is because, I, you know, I, I travel the country speaking to large groups about uh, religious freedom, constitutional rights, having a strong military, etc. And uh, what this does is, is this actually shakes our confidence in our military system, that, that a system that we count on as American citizens to do the right thing, not just in terms of, of you know, adhering to the laws of war, of not, you know, not committing atrocities overseas and things like that, being able to defend us, but then also doing right by the men and women, the brave men and women who put on the uniform. And I have men and women across the country when I speak to, at these events who will come up to me and say, you know, Mike, I am a Vietnam veteran. I am a Korea veteran. I am a veteran of Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Afghanistan, Iraq, etc. You name it. And they'll say, I am, I'm, a, I'm a proud veteran of, of this nation's armed forces. But I would never let my son or daughter join the military knowing what it's become today. And to me, that is, I mean, that's not just a tragedy, that's dangerous, right? Because these are able-bodied young men and women who probably are very patriotic. You know, I'm just going to go on a limb and say that the son of a veteran is probably pretty patriotic themselves, the son or daughter of a veteran, uh, excuse me, and and to have that mother or father say, I could never, I could never let you join the military because of what it's become, that means we're turning away, or not turning away, but we're turning off. I mean, I mean, probably you know thousands, if not tens of thousands, of able-bodied young Americans who would gladly go and serve our nation. But then the military is now telling them, you are not welcome here because of your religious beliefs. You know, we've seen this happen with some of our judicial nominees. Uh, there's a lot of news made about uh, some of our judicial nominees and their religious convictions and their religious faith being called into question by, you know, by Senate Democrats. And, and I fear the same thing is happening in our military, is that if you are a person of faith and you have certain, hold to certain religious beliefs and convictions, the military is, is in essence questioning you and your fitness for service. And that is, I mean, to me, that is beyond the pale of what should be acceptable in our nation. Well, I look at it again, you know, uh, bring in mind, I'm a civilian, uh, but I look at it from the point of view that certainly this would create some some doubt in the minds of, of uh, the men and women in the military over the, the judgment of their superior officers. They have to follow them, I understand that, but certainly being perhaps not as confident in their leadership as they might have been. And I have visions of some officers, uh, some leadership who might be in the field, given a command situation, and thinking at it not from a military point of view as how can I defeat the enemy, how can I preserve the lives of those under my command, but what's the political ramifications? That's a great observation. And uh, my own experience, I will only speak from my own experience, but that is exactly what you see happening 
is people are now looking at what are the political ramifications of my decision, or put differently, what is the politically correct thing to do? All right, if I can, if I say and do the right things politically, even if it means that I may get my troops killed. Uh, I can survive that, and I can I can get promoted to the next rank, and so on and so forth. And that again puts lives in danger. When when our leaders stop thinking about how to win, and they start thinking about how to promote, right? Then we we have a very real problem in, in our military. I read an article recently that was uh, pertaining to West Point, and the uh, author who was a West Pointer was uh, complaining that there had been a lack of a sense of duty and a sense of honor being instilled in the cadets at the point. Now, that's his article. I don't know if that's the case or not. Now, I know you taught at Annapolis. What do you think of the cadets that you saw who were going to be serving officers in the Navy and Marine Corps? Uh, Well, I mean, first of all, they are the cream of the crop, the vast majority of them are. I mean, in any large group, they're going to have a few bad apples. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about those being the exception to the rule. But in my time at, at uh, Annapolis and interacting with the midshipmen and teaching them, uh, I found them to be just so impressive. I mean, I, I, I just remember my first year teaching there, walking into that classroom and the, the the level of professionalism, respect, and decorum that they showed, I just thought, um, you know, all is not lost, right? Our, all hope is not lost. Now, the problem is they're still young, right? They're very impressionable. They're, they're, they're basically, in essence, still college-age kids, right? And so what happens is when you leave that environment, which is still a relatively insulated environment, uh, somewhat sheltered, and you go out into the real world, into the real military, it's that politically correct culture which begins to taint them and to taint their view of what it means to be in service and what it means to serve our nation. And that was kind of my fear. And, and really, the, the the thing that I lamented was um, I, I always, at the end of each semester, I just kind of hoped that I had done enough to um, maybe shield them and, and insulate them, if you will, from kind of what, what and, and, and I did that by, in essence, exposing them to it and saying, look, what you're experiencing here at the Naval Academy is not what it's going to be like when you get out to the, to the real Navy and Marine Corps. And I tried to give them a heads up, if you will, and say, look, uh, this is what you're going to face. And, and you can really take one of two paths. You can take the path of I, I don't really care about what the consequences are. I just want to promote. Um, if that means that, um, you know, I, I, I have to forfeit or, or sacrifice some of my what I even believe to be right uh, versus wrong, then I'm willing to do that as long as I can continue to put rank on my collar. And then there are some of you who are going to really decide that, you know what, um, I, I can do this for maybe one or two tours, but I can't do it for, for much longer than that because it, it is so politically correct now in the military that we're seeing a lot of our great young officers are leaving the service because they just can't take it anymore. And I see that over and over and over again. And that just goes back to my earlier point about 
That's why I see this as really beyond just a legal issue. This is really a national security issue because we're seeing our best and brightest are either leaving the service or the younger generation are just refusing to sign up to begin with. And that certainly does put the nation at risk. Uh, One argument I have heard about using the military for, quote, social justice, if you will, uh, was they talk about uh, President Truman's uh, executive order integrating the armed forces back in 1948, I believe it was. And certainly that, I think, was the correct thing to do. But I don't see where this is really linked to that. I hear that argument made all the time that, oh, yeah, well, it's just like bringing uh, African-Americans into the military. Uh, no, it's not. African-Americans joining the military strengthened the military. It didn't change the the culture. Actually, it did change the culture, but for the better. I don't see that happening here. That didn't make people afraid to fight. That didn't make people question their the person on their on their right in the foxhole with them. It didn't make the question the judgment of their officers. This does. Yeah, I mean, there there are. It's somewhat of a Pandora's box, I suppose, right? And and the problem I have is that. Uh, I have no problem serving with somebody who believes differently than I believe, as long as they're committed to the same mission, right? And as long as they are willing to to do what is necessary to accomplish the mission. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, it's about accomplishing the mission and making sure that the, the guy or girl to my left and right return home you know, safely and, and, you know, intact, physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. And that's really the biggest problem I have is that we're now so focused, again, on some of the political expediency as, as, as opposed to simply doing what we need to do to accomplish the mission. So you now have commanders who are more focused on a lot of these, these political and, and legal arguments. They're more focused on that than they are on the enemy that lies beyond our borders. And that's what drives me crazy is that I, I want my commander to be freed up from all those issues and all those those political problems and, and, and quarrels so that he can focus on a real enemy that actually wants to do real harm to our country. That's probably what, what's most disturbing to me about this. And we do face some very real enemies out there. We've, we've seen it we've, with attacks here within our own, with Absolutely. Our own borders. Absolutely. Very dangerous people in the world. And uh, they don't care about political correctness. They hate us, and they want to kill us. Well, in fact, a lot of our political correctness is why they hate us. (laughs) I tend to think you may be right on that. Mr. Berry, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this program. This has been a very informative program, and this is a vital issue. You know, over and above First Amendment, obviously here we at the LCMS are, are are dedicated solely to the idea of religious liberty and religious freedom and freedom of conscience. But as an American citizen, this is a issue that is a vital concern to our national existence. And I want to thank you for your service and thank you for what you're doing for people like Colonel Bohannon. Well, thank you for for allowing us the opportunity to talk about it. Well, thank you. Uh, You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Monday of every month. Today's guest was Mr. Mike Berry of First Liberty Institute. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, and I'm wishing you God's blessings.
You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.